Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. All right. We are busy working our way through 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. And uh, today will be the last of this series. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I hope you've been encouraged. And... um, one of the things that, uh, that stood out of um, this portion of Scripture is that like in, in, in Paul's day, like in our day, there are a lot of Christians and even a lot of Christian ministers who say basically, like they said to Paul, listen, um, you know, you preach such a powerful gospel, but you don't look as blessed as your gospel says you ought to be. You you experience persecution, you experience sickness, you experience tribulation, you experience weakness, you don't look very impressive, you don't look very successful, sometimes you're in want, sometimes you're in need. What's going on? You, clearly God's blessing is not on you as much as it should be. And the reality is, you know, Paul answers that and says, well, if you say that, you just don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel moves from death to life, because the life of the gospel is resurrection life that goes through death. It moves from weakness to strength, because Jesus was weak on the cross and he died, and then he experienced the strength of God's resurrection. Um, and he, basically just saying, especially in chapter 4, that unless we know this, unless we truly understand the gospel, the true gospel, we will lose heart. In verse 1, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. In verse 16, he says again, therefore we do not lose heart. Um, and the reality is life, life is not easy. I mean, when, when, we, when we are young, we suffer often from the illusion that we are indestructible and that, we are, um, that nothing can ever go wrong in our lives. And, um, you know, the reality is that life soon disabuses us of that fanciful notion and we realize that we're just human and things can go wrong and uh, we are weak. You know, our bodies are, f- are fallible. They, they can break, you know, they can get sick, uh, etc. We can fail, you know, we, we can have all the good intentions but, but fail. And the, the solution that the super apostles, Paul's opponents in this had was, well, let's just, let's just preach a different gospel. He says so in, in actually in, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. He says to the Corinthians, listen, you know, if someone brings a different Jesus, a different spirit or a different gospel, you, you, you put up with it quite well, you know, quite easily, you know. Um, and we all feel that tension between the real and the ideal. What is real in our lives and what we ideally want to be true in our lives. And it's easy to, like the super apostles, want a gospel that says everything's just going to be okay all the time. There's going to be no weakness. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no troubles. And like the Corinthians, we actually want to hear gospels like that. We want to. It's nice hearing that. (laughs) The problem is the true gospel doesn't promise that. It does promise that ultimately everything will work out better than we expect, better than we can ever imagine. But along the way, there will be weakness, there will be trouble, there will be suffering. It's suf- through suffering that we get 
to glory. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, a, a famous uh, preacher in, in, in the previous century, he said, Jesus never changed the gospel to make it suit people. He changed people to make them fit into the gospel. And Paul was the same. You know, he says, I'm not going to do like the super apostle. I'm not going to change the gospel to suit our preferences. I'm going to challenge us to change, to have a better understanding of the gospel and to walk better in line with the truth of the gospel. And that's a big part of what, what this is, is all about. Um, so I just want to encourage you. The temptation to fall for some other prosperity gospel that says everything's always going to be okay, it's a big, it's a real temptation because that's really what we want to be true. We want, we want life to be a fairy tale. And even though our lives will literally have a happily ever after, it is not a fairy tale. <laughs> okay? Now just, maybe I should just explain this. The prosperity gospel doesn't say that you will prosper some of the time. The prosperity gospel says you'll prosper all of the time. And in fact, your spiritual maturity and your faith and your faithfulness to God can be measured by how much you prosper. And if you're not prospering, then there's something wrong with your faith or your faithfulness. In other words, the richer you are, the more favor you have with God. The more blessed you are, the more favor you have with God. Now, I mean, you can just listen to that gospel and then say, how would people who believe that gospel have judged Jesus, who died on a cross, forsaken by all his friends? How would they have judged Paul, who suffered and often didn't look very impressive, who often looked as though he was getting the shortest end of the stick? Well, they did. That's what the super, they were, the super apostles were the prosperity gospels, you know, preachers of Paul's day. And they judged him and they said to, to the Corinthians, listen, this guy's a loser. He's not impressive. You know, us, look at us. We sound better. We look better. We perform better. People like us better. We're just better, <laughs> you know. Um, but the problem is that's not the true gospel. That's not, not the true gospel. And ironically, that false gospel will cause you to either, in the short term, it will cause you to be a hypocrite because you'll have to pretend, you know, to keep up appearances because things will go wrong in your life, big things and small things, but you'll have to be a hypocrite and pretend like it's not. I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed, sister. The Lord is good. All the time and all the time, the Lord is good. <laughs> Nothing ever goes wrong in my life. <laughs> And on the long run, you will lose heart because you'll realize that the gospel you're preaching to yourself and to other people is not true. You will lose heart. But if you believe the true gospel, you won't lose heart because the true gospel makes provision for suffering and says when you suffer, you're actually suffering with Jesus and for Jesus. And your suffering has meaning. It means something. So let me read um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13 to 18 the portion that we're going to look at. It says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believed and therefore speak. Believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit. 
so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I just, uh, if you can just bring up the, the next slide. Um, when I study scripture, I try and figure out one of the things I try and do, and I, I recommend this to you as well, is try and figure out the structure of how things relate to one another. And Paul does something here, which he often does, uh, you know, being a Jew, being sort of schooled in the Psalms. He uses parallelism, where he, where he puts certain stuff in parallel. So the first thing, uh, if you look at verse 13 and 18, they're in parallel. He talks about a faith that speaks and a faith that sees. Okay, and verse 14 and 17 are in parallel. He talks about faith in our future resurrection with Christ and faith in our future glories that outweigh, you know, all the troubles that we experience now. And then in verse 15 and the end of verse 16, he talks about faith in our present good and God's glory and faith in our present in, in internal renewal. And, and the middle sort of of that, that parallel, you know, structure is therefore we do not lose heart. In other words, he's saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. The therefore, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you must find out what it's there for, right? <laughs> it, it gives us, in other words, he's giving the reasons why we do not lose heart. And they're powerful reasons. They, they're really powerful reasons. So Paul is basically saying, if we have this kind of faith, we will not lose heart. Or the extent to which we believe these things will determine the extent to which we do not lose heart, in, 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 uh, in fact, the extent to which we are strengthened and encouraged. Okay, so let's look at um, uh, this section by section. Um, firstly, faith that speaks the gospel, uh, 4 verse 13. Here Paul is saying something very important. He's saying our, our, our feelings must follow our faith. So often we as modern people will say, I have the right feelings, therefore I speak. Paul is saying, no, 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 I have the right faith, therefore I speak, independent of my feelings. You see, we, we, we so often, we, we, we're conditioned by this world and by the media and by everything around us to go on our emotions, to be led by our noses, by our emotions. Now, your emotions aren't bad, but your emotions shouldn't lead you. You shouldn't follow your emotions. You should follow your faith. Your faith should follow your emotions. Oh, your, 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 sorry, your feelings should follow your faith. Not your faith follow your feelings. So often we, 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 we put the, the cart in front of the, the horses. So we don't speak because we have the right feelings, but because we have the right faith. In fact, you, if you think about it for a moment, you can't help speaking what you truly believe. Isn't that so? Doesn't Jesus say as much in scriptures like um, Luke 6 verse 45 where he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks? Whatever is in your heart will inevitably ultimately overflow from your mouth. So your, your, your faith ultimately will, will speak. And your faith... Your, your speaking reveals your faith, 
But here's something else that you need to notice. Your, your speaking also reinforces your faith. Um, do you know who the person is in your life when they speak? You, I mean, you never believe everything that people say, right? I mean, unless you're really gullible. But most of us, most of us don't believe everything that people say. But you know who the person is in your life that when they speak, you, you believe the highest percentage of what they say. Who is that person? It's you. It's you. You believe more of what you say than you believe about anyone else says. And therefore, if you have faith, one of the ways to not lose heart is to speak that faith. To speak the things that you believe. If you believe this gospel that we're talking about, that Paul is talking about, you need to speak those things. How often do you speak to yourself? People say, no, people who speak to themselves are crazy. No. People who speak to themselves are biblical. David said, be still, my soul, and know that he is God. Why are you so disturbed within me, oh, my soul? (laughs) You're supposed to speak to yourself. You do speak to yourself in any case. Sometimes you just do it in your head because you don't want anyone else to hear you. We need to speak what we believe to ourselves so that we can believe it more deeply. We've lost the discipline of memorizing and confessing Scripture. You know, 30-odd years ago, you know, when I'd go to a, to a prayer meeting, you know, you, you get some of these old Pentecostal elders and stuff, you know, they, they, could, hoi, they could pray, and they pray like reams of Scripture, just Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. They hoi them like this. All King James, of course. <laughs> King James Scripture. But they knew the Scripture. You, you hear very little of that in prayer meetings nowadays, people just praying Scripture, because we don't, memorize scripture anymore and therefore we cannot confess scripture anymore we need to like paul say i believe therefore i speak um so from the overflow of the of the heart the mouth speaks now now he says here something interesting because we have the same spirit of faith now there's a bit of a debate you know amongst the scholars who who write the commentaries and stuff you know because when you talk about the spirit of something um, it can refer to the human spirit. In, in, uh, so Paul could be saying, because we have the same attitude of faith, basically. And that's how the NIV translates it, because it translates it with a small, uh, not with a capital S, as though it's the Holy Spirit, but with a small S. But I actually think that the NIV is getting it wrong here. Um, I actually think that it's talking about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of faith. And I'll, I'll, I'll could give you a couple of reasons why I think so. The first reason is... <clears throat> If Paul had just meant, we have the same faith, I have the same faith, we have the same faith as the psalmist, he could have just said that. Why complicate it and make it confusing by saying we have the same spirit of faith? If he he just meant we have the same faith. Secondly, um, the the, the verse there starts with having. He, He says, having the same spirit of faith, as it is written in, in the Greek. And, and there are a couple of verses um, in three verse, chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 7, where every time when he starts a new section that continues on from the previous section, he starts with having, with the word, the Greek word having, echontes. And so what, what he's saying here is, is, is a continuation of the argument 
and the ministry that he's been doing up to now. And what has he been talking about? He's been talking about the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit that, of the new, the new covenant written on our hearts, not, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart by the Spirit. He's saying, um, when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, and this Lord is the Spirit. And then at the end of chapter 3, he says, all of this, the transformation that is happening, it's all by the Spirit. Okay? So in context, he must be talking about the Spirit who does all these things. In fact, if, if, you, if you look at the fact that he says that when you turn to the Lord, who is the Spirit, the veil is taken away and you can see by faith the gospel, then the, it makes sense that he calls the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of faith. The Spirit who gives faith by taking the veil away from our eyes. So, um, and then he quotes, when he says, um, as, as it is written, he quotes from, it's, in our Bibles it's Psalm 116 verse 10, but he's actually quoting from the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is Psalm 115 verse 1. Now, this, this, it's a shortish psalm in, in the Greek New Testament, four or five verses, and the Spirit is not mentioned in it, but Paul considers it scripture and therefore spirit-inspired. So he's saying, when the, when the psalmist says, I believe, therefore I've spoken, it's the spirit of faith inspiring him, and the same spirit of faith inspires us to faith, and therefore we speak in the same way as the psalmist. Um, so here I just want to ask you a question. If our speaking reveals our believing what does your speaking say about your believing? Have you ever stopped to listen to yourself just for a day, just sort of tracked what you speak about most, how you speak, whether, it's, whether you sound like someone who's losing heart or like someone who's taking heart? Because what you believe will determine what you speak. So what does what you speak say about what you truly believe? And is there anything that you therefore need to change about what you believe so that you can speak differently? Okay, so what would, you, would happen if you regularly spoke the truth of the gospel, the truth that you believe to yourself by faith? What, what would happen in your life, do you think, if you on a daily basis started your day and regularly throughout your day spoke the truth that you believe to yourself, reminded it, yourself of it, uh, ministered, preached it to yourself? You don't need a pulpit to preach. Come on. You can preach yourself in the mirror, in the shower, you know, in the bathroom at, at work. Okay. So um, then he goes on in verse 14, and, and, he, and he says, uh, let me just read that. Um, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So here he's talking about uh, having faith in our future resurrection. So here's something very interesting. Paul considered, um, Paul considered the believer in Jesus to be just one step behind Jesus. And in other words, he said that whatever happens to Jesus, in a sense, has happened to us, because we're in Jesus, and will happen to us because of the already and not yet. It has happened, but it's not fully yet happened. So in a sense, spiritually, we've been resurrected. 
So in the spirit, we, we have not only been resurrected with Christ, but raised up with Christ, and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Guess what? You're in two places at the same time if you're a Christian. Did you know that? You're here on earth, but you're also in Christ in heaven at the same time, spiritually speaking. In, in the spirit realm, geography works a bit, bit differently. You know? <laughs> there, there aren't the limitations that we have in the natural realm. And, and that's amazing. But on the physical realm, we have not yet been resurrected like Jesus has been physically resurrected. He had a, I look forward to that, I'm telling you. I, I watch all these Superman, uh, these superhero movies, and I, and I think to myself, they just, you know, wannabes. <laughs> One day, we're going to be able to walk through walls. Genuinely, for sure. Totally walk. Uh, Jesus walked through walls. When he was resurrected, they were hiding. He walked through the wall. He was with them. We're going we're to do all of those superhero stuff, I'm telling you now. But not yet. We're not there yet. Physically, we still step behind Jesus. But, but here's the thing I want you to, to see. If I take a... I've got a... A Zim dollar bill. Okay? If I take this, this note and I put it into my Bible... Okay, there you can see it sticking out. If I take this Bible and I throw it into the fire, what's going to happen to the note? going to burn. If I take this Bible and I throw it into the water, what's going to happen to the note? It's going to get wet. So in other words, what, if the note is in the Bible, whatever happens to the Bible happens to the note. And Paul is saying, because we are in Christ, whatever happens to Christ happens to us. And because Christ has been resurrected, we will, we in a sense have been resurrected and we will be even physically resurrected. But he says that's not all. He says the good news of what's coming in the future is not just that we'll be resurrected unto eternal life. Because think about it, resurrection life, like I said last week, is, is life that has already passed through death. So death has no more hold of it. So it's eternal life. Resurrection life per definition is eternal life. Life that death cannot take away. But, but the good news of our future is not that we will just experience eternal life. But he says, the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up with him and present us with you to himself. The good news of our future is not just that it's an eternal, never-ending future, but that it's an eternal, never-ending future with God. Eternal life would mean nothing without God. God is the one who makes eternal life worth living. And that is what we're going to get. We are going to be treated for eternity by God the way that Jesus deserves to be treated. Because Jesus was treated on the cross the way we deserve to be treated. That is the good news of our eternal future that lies ahead of us. And, and what Paul says is that if you believe that, you will not lose heart. You will not lose heart. How would you behave differently if you believed this more deeply? That no matter what happens to you, you will be resurrected and spend eternity in God's presence. How would you live? Do you think you'd be more fearless? Do you think you'd be more courageous? Do you think you'd worry less? Do you think you'd have more peace, more joy in everything? If you lived every day in light of that truth. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So, if we believe that what happened to Jesus will happen to us, we will not lose heart. And, you know, even if these were the only reasons that Paul had given, that we have the spirit of faith inside of us, encouraging our faith and causing us to speak the truth, and that we have an eternal future with God, because what has happened to Jesus will happen to us because we're in Jesus. If, if he'd only said that, that would be enough to encourage us. But Paul has more. He has more. <laughs> he says, he goes on in the next verse to, to, in fact, let me just turn there um, and read that to you. In the next verse he says, um, verse 15, All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, if you're born again, you want what's best for God and what's best for you. What brings most glory to God and the most good to you. And for some other reason, we think that which produces our greatest good doesn't produce God's greatest glory. And that which produces God's greatest glory doesn't produce our greatest good. But, but here Paul says no in verse 15. He says... All of this is for your benefit. In other words, it's for your good. All of this produces your good. That the grace, what is this that produces our good? The grace of God that is reaching more and more people. And what does it result in? It causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So Paul is saying that one and the same thing produces our greatest good and God's greatest glory. And that's the grace of the gospel. The grace of the gospel simultaneously produces what's best for us and what's best for God. And if you're truly a Christian, that's what you want. That's what you want in your life. So, so our greatest good and God's greatest glory are not mutually exclusive. In fact, we found our greatest good, our greatest benefit by pursuing God's greatest glory, by God's amazing grace. Let me put it this way to you. What from our sinful, fallen, immature vantage point, what often what looks best for us is not what's best for us. What looks good to us is not good to us. I mean, if you have children, you know this. What looks good to them is milkshake and chocolates and sweets all the time. They think that is their greatest good. <laughs> they think that that is... You know, if, 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 we, uh, if their parents love them, they'll give them that all the time. But because their parents love them, they don't give them that all the time. Okay? So, so the reality is in our, in our fallenness, in our immaturity, in our sinfulness, we don't know what's best for us. But God does. And what glorifies God most benefits us most. And God's grace produces both our greatest good and his greatest glory at the same time. Now, grace is unmerited favor and empowerment. Um, and anything produced by grace is not earned. It cannot be earned. Per definition, grace is unmerited. So, so you cannot deserve it. By, per definition, grace is something that you cannot work for. You cannot earn. Now, now let me just 
clarify this, and I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. He says, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. That's very important. Okay? And that's why I said, because most people say grace is unmerited favor. But you'd have noticed I said grace is unmerited favor and empowerment. Grace actually produces effort. Okay? Um, But he's saying about this grace, he says this grace is reaching more and more people. Can you see what it's saying there? It it almost personifies, Paul's almost personifying grace and saying it doesn't matter whether you're standing still or running away, grace is reaching for you. Grace is coming after you. Grace is going to get you. God's grace is not passive. God's grace is reaching for you. It's reaching out to you. God is constantly pumping His grace into your life. Even though you don't deserve it. So, if we believe in a gospel that offers such grace, we will not lose heart. It will encourage us. Because we'll realize that, yes, I don't deserve it. In fact, I know I can't deserve it. But I don't have to because Jesus has deserved it for me. It's unmerited favor, but it's also empowerment. That grace will help me to become more like Jesus day by day. It'll not only forgive me for not being like Jesus, it'll help me to become more like Jesus on a, on a daily basis. Um, and this, this grace, it, by doing that, it's, it works in our benefit. It works for our good. And, and it works for God's glory. Because what happens when sinful people who cannot, not, who, not only who will not and who do not, but who cannot fully obey God's law, are not only made God's children, but step by step transformed into the image of Christ. To the place where eventually when Jesus comes back, we'll be perfected. When we are resurrected, we'll be perfected. Who gets the credit for that? The ones who are now perfect in eternity? No, they didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything to do it. So who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? God does. And that's why thanksgiving overflows to the glory of God. When, by the grace of the gospel, undeserving sinners are saved and changed into the image of Christ, as we've been learning so once again, I mean, even if the Bible just said that, even if Paul just said that, we wouldn't lose heart. But Paul actually has more. He goes on and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart in, in verse um, 16. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So like I said, when we are young, we, we live under the illusion that we are indestructible and we will last forever. But, but life quickly disabuses us of this notion. Um, the reality is, in a fallen world, and this, is, this, is, this can be quite discouraging and a bit depressing when you start thinking about it, but in a fallen world, a sinful world, a broken world, with destruction, sickness, disease, all that kind of stuff, you literally start dying the moment you're born. In the beginning, your cells just multiply quicker than they die. But they die. They all die. All the cells that you were born with have died long ago. It's it's completely new cells that you have today. I'm sure most of you know this. 
Okay? So when, when Paul says outwardly we're wasting away, he's, he's talking that there's a physical, natural entropy that makes everything go down. That's discouraging. That's depressing. No wonder, you know, people are always looking for some other magic serum that'll make them live forever. Because we, we, God has placed eternity in our hearts. We want to have an impact that lasts for eternity. We, want, we, we know that, we, that death is an imposter. We're not supposed to die. We, we, we can feel that. It's not right. It doesn't feel right to us. Now, Paul is saying outwardly we are wasting away. In other words, if you believe the true gospel, it can make, you can be honest about the fact that outwardly you're wasting away. Because inwardly you're being renewed day by day. So he's saying, yes, our physical bodies, you know, eventually they start going down, they start wasting away. Um, especially, you know, if like me, you, Paul is saying, you minister the gospel and you're being persecuted and, 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 and so on the whole time. Um, but inwardly you're being renewed daily. The, the inward process is the opposite of the outward process. Listen to this, this word being renewed is, is a word that only appears a, a couple of times, two or three times in the, in the New Testament. One of them is in Colossians 3 verse 9. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed. Exactly the same word in the Greek. In knowledge in the image of its creator. So when he's talking about renewed, what is he talking about? I mean, he's, he's been talking about um, knowledge, the, the, the light of the knowledge of the gospel. He's been talking about the image of Christ. That we, we're being transformed in, at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 18. We're being transformed into the same image. So here he's saying the same thing. He's saying this renewal is the renewal of the image of God, our creator, in us through the knowledge of the gospel. In Titus 3 verse 5, he says, he saved us. So, so um, in, in Titus 3 verse 5, the, the, word, the, the, the word appears as a noun, but it's the same, same root. He says, he saved us, God saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, same word, by the Holy Spirit. Renewal by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying the Holy Spirit, who is in us, renews us internally, day by day, even if outwardly we are fading away, even if our hair is getting more gray, even if our bodies are getting weaker and sagging. So if we believe that the Spirit, the Spirit continually works such renewal in us, we will not lose heart. Amen? If, if, you know, as like me, you know, I'm 45, I just turned 45 beginning of this month, you know, my beard and my hair is becoming grayer, my, my body, you know, when I, when I was 20, I could exercise, and I'll be a little bit stiff, but I'll get over it like this. Now, if I, if I exercise, I feel it. <laughs> I feel it, my, my, my recovery time is just longer, and it's getting longer all the time, you know. I'm so stiff, you know, I can hardly even touch my toes. The back, you know, it's getting, it's not what it used to be anymore, okay? But that doesn't discourage me because even though outwardly I'm wasting away, inwardly I know I'm being renewed by the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. In other words, not only has 
is God preparing eternity for me? But he's preparing me for eternity by renewing me. So that when I go into eternity, I'm ready for it. I'm a renewed being. Okay, and then he goes on and he says, he talks about the faith in our future glories that outweigh our current troubles. Let me just read verse 17 for you. He says, um, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now we, we might, he's talking here about deferred gratification. You know the word deferred gratification? All success, to some extent, is based on deferred gratification. Deferred gratification is when you sacrifice what you think you want now for what you know you want later. Okay? So when you go to school, your parents force you <laughs> to apply deferred gratification. Huh, JP? <laughs> to, to sit down, you know, put some glue on your bum, sit down and study, even though you don't want to study. Okay? so that you can reap the benefits of studying later on, okay? When you exercise, it's hard work. You know, your, your lungs burn, your muscles get sore, but you sacrifice the comfort you want now for the health you want later because that exercise is good for you. And, and I, can, I can go on with, with I mean, there, there are so many examples like that, you know. Um, sometimes you have to work hard. And sometimes the, work, the hard work you have to do is not nice work. But then you sacrifice and you do that unpleasant hard work because you know you're going to get paid for it. Etc., etc. Or you know it's going to make a difference in the world, in people's lives. So deferred gratification. All success is based to some extent on deferred gratification. And I, I, I heard an interesting little story um, this week as I was reading that illustrates this so beautifully. Let me, just, um, let me just read that for you. Just get it. Here we go. It says, In 1946, Akio Morita and another man started a new company called Tokyo Telecommunications Engineering in a bombed-out department store in Tokyo. Um, in 1955, Mr. Morita's company made the world's first portable transistor radio. An American company, uh, Belova, offered to buy the radio at a handsome profit. And um, Akio needed the money. His company needed the money. And, and, and the guys were saying this is, and it was a good offer. It was, it was really a, a good offer that would bail them out of, you know, cash flow problems that they were having, you know, in a country that was trying to recover from, from the, the, the world war. But the deal troubled Mr. Uh, Morita. Under the deal, Bulova uh, uh, would sell the radio under their own name. Morita um, wanted to establish his own company's brand name. So even though the deal would have brought his struggling company a much-needed infusion of cash, Morita decided against the deal, telling the executives of Bulova, I am now taking the first step for the next 50 years of my company. Deferred gratification. Morita's company went on to become one of the greatest success stories in business. Because besides the transistor radio, they built the first VCRs and the first compact disc players. Incidentally, by the time he turned down the deal with Belova, Morita had already changed the name of his company to Sony. Today, Sony has a 
does annually does business of more than $70 billion. And all of that would have been what Marita would have given up if it sold out and, and said yes to a short-term benefit but at the expense of long-term benefits. And, and what Paul is saying here, he says in verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I mean, if, if that difference, if, if it was worth uh, for Marita to give up that little bit of benefit, short-term benefit, for the long-term business benefit, how much more is it worth it to us to give up, to, to suffer, to, to take the suffering we're experiencing now in order to experience the eternal benefits? Now, now Paul, we, we almost want to be offended with Paul here because he says, our light and momentary afflictions. And then many people want to say to Paul, Paul, you, you don't know how I'm suffering. You, you don't know my suffering. Then we realize, then we realize okay, this is Paul speaking. <laughs> we remember, no, this is Paul speaking. Let me just read you some of the things Paul, just in this letter, has said about his sufferings. In uh, chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. In chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, he says, but we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despaired. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In chapter 6, verse 4 to 10, he says, um, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in uh, purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, though uh, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as, as impostors, Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. In chapter 11, verse 23, to, to 33, let me just see. And, and they, uh, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 for those of you who struggled with math. <laughs> 39 lashes with a whip. Sometimes with a cat of nine tails. That's terrible. Three times were beaten with rods. Once I was uh, uh, stoned. It says here in the NIV, pelted with stones. It doesn't get across. I mean, they took fist-sized rocks and stoned him and left him for dead. And God raised him. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. <laughs> shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger on the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. In fact, let me just read one more. (laughs) Chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So... (laughs) We might have a knee-jerk reaction of wanting to complain, Paul, how dare you call my sufferings light? But when you read this, you realize, if there's one person who can say that, then it's Paul. Now, listen, Paul is also human. And, and Paul did not say our troubles, his troubles and our troubles are light in an absolute sense. Because while we're in the troubles, they don't feel light to us. And, and we see the same in Paul's life. In verse 8 it says, uh, chapter 1 verse 8 it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of our lives. It, it, the word he used there, baros, means pressure or, or burden. He says we were so burdened, we thought we were... We thought we, the death sentence had already been passed on us. So, so when Paul was in the experience of suffering, it felt heavy to him. So heavy that it was unbearable. But here's the, here's the trick. Here's the secret. When Paul compared those unbearably heavy sufferings and troubles with the glory he was going to experience in eternity, they looked to him, who suffered more than probably all of us, light and momentary, like light and momentary afflictions. In other words, if your sufferings seem too heavy for you, compare them to what you'll experience in eternity. And all of a sudden you'll see them in perspective and they won't feel as heavy. Like Paul, they'll feel light. You see, the problem is not that Paul underestimated our current sufferings, but that we tend to underestimate our future glories. That is the problem. That's why our sufferings feel so heavy to us, and that's why we tend to become discouraged. By comparison with eternity, our sufferings are light. By comparison to eternity, obviously our sufferings are momentary. They're small. They, 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 that's going to last for a while. They feel like they're going to last forever when you're in them, but they're going to last forever. Jim Elliot, uh, I wish I had time to tell his story. He was married to the famous author Elizabeth Elliot. Um, and when they were still young, he went with a bunch of missionary friends to, I think, Papua New Guinea, and he was actually killed there. The old missions team were, were killed by, by um, the, natives, um, the, the native tribes there. 
But he said, before he went across there, he said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Guess what? This life, you cannot keep it. You're no fool if you exchange it for a life you cannot lose for eternity. That's wisdom. Okay. So, um, let me close. I still have more that I want to share, but Rushal is telling me I must stop now. <laughs> um, Neil and I were talking about this during the week, and he was saying it's, it's a bit like a, like a solar eclipse. Your, your troubles and your sufferings are like the moon, and in, during a solar eclipse, the moon comes between you and the sun, which, which in the, you know, represents eternity in, in the illustration. But the moon is much smaller than the sun. It's just when you're going through the eclipse, because the moon is closer, it looks as big as the sun and it covers the sun. And because our sufferings are here and now, they're immediate, they're closer, they often, like the moon during a solar eclipse, seem bigger than the sun. But then it moves on and the sun comes out again. It's just momentary, momentary affliction. And, and the, the, the sun of our eternity is always bigger than the moon of our troubles and our sufferings. Okay. Um, just in verse 18 it says, um, for we fix our eyes on what is, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. You see, what is seen, everything you see around you was created by what is unseen. Hebrews 3, verse 11, verse 3 says as much. Nothing that is seen was created by what is seen. Everything that is seen was created by what is unseen. So the unseen preceded the seen, and the unseen will outlast the seen. And by faith, we need to see that. How can you see the unseen? Not with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. In fact, faith is a kind of seeing. That's what this, this whole chapter, in fact, the whole two chapters we've been going through, have been telling us. You know, it says um, in 3 verse 18, as we behold... God's glory. How do you behold God's glory? With your physical eyes? No, with the eyes of your faith. We, be, we become what we behold. Um, as it says in, in 4 verse 4, um, the eyes of the minds of unbelievers were blinded. The eyes of the minds. Faith is the eye of the mind. And then he says, the light, we see, when, when we unveil, we see the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the gospel. So with your, the eyes of your mind unveiled, you see through the eyes of faith the knowledge. So, so where, where physical eyes see light, spiritual faith eyes see knowledge with a mind. Okay? And therefore, your, the eyes of your faith can see the unseen. And as you see, the extent to which you see the unseen, you will not be discouraged. Let's stand. So I want to encourage you, through the eyes of faith, look past what is seen. Because yes, what is seen is, is discouraging. What you see in yourself, you're wasting away. It's discouraging. What you see in the world, it's discouraging. But if you can, through the eyes of faith, see beyond what is seen to what is unseen, you will be encouraged. You will not lose heart. So I want to encourage you to do that. Let's just close our eyes.
I just want you to, whatever the, the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart this morning, I just want you to bring it before him and just say, Lord, help me to respond in this way. Some of you, it'll be just the realization that you need to speak. Because you believe, you need to speak what you believe more often to yourself and encourage yourself. For some of you, it's just that you need to have a more eternal perspective. That you need to look to the resurrection in Christ. That you need to look to, to the glories that far outweigh your current sufferings. To some of you, it's, you need to see what the gospel is doing in you now. That the, that the grace of God is producing your greatest good and God's greatest glory in you now. That even though you're wasting away internally, you are being renewed day by day. Every day you're experiencing the gospel. Some of you just need to see that in the here and the now. Whatever it is, just bring it before the Lord and just say, Lord, I commit myself to being more intentional. To, to, to see by faith and to speak by faith. To live by faith. Yes, Lord God, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we confess that we so often get stuck in the here and now. We so often get blinded by what is seen. Sometimes we feel like, Lord, that character in the, in the Matrix movie who said that the, the Matrix is the world that gets pulled over your eyes to blind you to the truth. And Lord, we realize that to some extent this world is the wool that gets pulled over our eyes to blind us to the truth of eternity. The seen blinding us to the reality and the truth of the unseen. Lord, and we, we confess that so often the, what is seen and what is physical, what is, it, it, it's so, Lord, it, it, it shouts so loudly and it, it, it clamors with such urgency that we're distracted by it. And we miss the unseen. Lord, Holy Spirit, Spirit of faith, help us to more consistently see the unseen, to con more consistently speak those unseen truths over our lives and into our hearts and to remind ourselves of one another constantly of the grace of the gospel that, are not, that is not only saving us in the here and now but will save us into eternity. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our lives. I just, I just feel the Lord, uh, I just keep getting stuck on this thing of, of speaking. We believe, therefore we have spoken. And I, and I just feel that the Lord wants us to, wants you to now just think about, because you know, people who fail and people who succeed have the same goals. They just have different habits. And unless we make speaking the truth, we believe and speak what the truth we believe, unless we make it a habit in our lives, it will not happen. So how are you going to make it a habit? I want you to, when you go out here, maybe at the end some of the service, you can maybe turn to the person next to you, and I want you to decide what you're going to speak, when during the day, during each day you're going to speak it to yourself, where you're going to do it, what time you're going to do it.
and share it with someone. Tell them, I'm committing myself that I'm going to do this. And I, I, I want to do this every day of my life. I believe God wants us to do this every day of our lives, to speak the truth over ourselves. And say to that person, hold me accountable, please. Will you do that? Will you guys on YouTube do that as well? I hope so. Father, we thank you, Lord. Your word is so encouraging and it's so strengthening. Thank you, Lord, that it gives hope to weak, broken vessels like us. And that it brings glory to your name. Let your name be glorified in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.